0: Hello, this is Father Kelly living again. Yesterday, I would have normally recorded something in the evening, but I was dead, and we had to get up at... Well, we had to be on the bus at 4.15 in the morning, so I went to bed. So this is going to be days five and six together. So this is the end of day six, by the way. So two days ago, yesterday... Yeah, yesterday morning... We got up and left our lovely hotel at the the Magdala... What is it? Magdala Pilgrimage Center, Magdala Hotel, Traveler's House. It has a lot of different names, depending on which piece of paper you're looking at. Either way, we left the Magdala Hotel by the shores of the Sea of Galilee, got on our bus, and went first on our way to Mount Tabor to the Valley of the Doves, which is a... It's called the Valley of the Doves because anybody from Galilee had to take this road to go to Jerusalem to go to the temple, which Jews would do sometimes, I think, multiple times a year. So rather than, you know, buy your doves in the city, you could buy your doves here far outside the city and bring them with you and save a lot of money. Just like, you know, now you buy ski equipment in Oklahoma instead of in Colorado because it's way cheaper that way. So same concept. There's this Valley of the Doves, and it's still named that way, even though no one buys doves there anymore. But it's a fanta- it's a it's a beautiful place. Uh, there are um, for the area rather high mountains surrounding it, uh, maybe just you know a couple thousand feet high. But uh, the tops of them are full of uh, caves. Now they're natural caves, but of course, uh, in an ancient part of the world like this, well, you know. All parts of the world are ancient, but one that's been inhabited for so long, especially one that's seen lots of political tumult tumult over the centuries. Uh, Many of these caves were expanded and hollowed out and made bigger, and people would actually live up there for quite a while. So uh, this particular valley has seen lots of, uh, not military occupations, but uh, you might say Uh, Social group occupations, Uh, Jews, Muslims, I'm sure lots of people over the centuries, uh, even uh, well before the time of Christ, before even the Hebrews have spent time up there. Some fascinating stories about that, one of them, uh, I don't remember the exact time of it, but uh, our guide was telling us that there was a, a period when, I think it was the Jews that were having to hide away up there because of some political oppression and you're rather inaccessibly up in the caves in these steep cliffs and the romans were trying to get them and so the romans being clever like they were climbed to the very top and then hung soldiers in baskets from cables or ropes probably down the side with spears and hooks and got the people out of the caves by dangling on a rope terrible at the time, and lots of suffering, I'm sure it was caused by that, uh, but damn Romans, you guys are clever. So anyways, uh, Valley of the Doves, an ancient valley, an ancient road, uh, leading between, um, well I think mostly really to Nazareth, but you keep going to Jerusalem from there, um, up to Galilee, and it's, there's still a, a gravel, effectively a gravel path there, but it's entirely natural, and it hasn't been uh, archaeologically disturbed uh, though there could be probably many fascinating things to find along that road, having been used for centuries. It is untouched and could be uh, hiked along uh, the road and the mountaintops. Um, hopefully I'll do that someday. So anyways, Valley of the Dubs, very beautiful place. Hope to visit back to it. Uh, the guide was telling us about all of this cool stuff, and you could see the trail going off, and they gave us five minutes or so. But I didn't dare go from beside the bus because I wouldn't come back. Because it was a lovely day for a hike, beautiful trail, mountains. I knew if I walked 10 feet on the trail, I'd never come back, or at least not in five minutes. So, out of respect to everyone else on the bus who wanted to go to the places, I refrained, hard as it was. Next, we went on to Mount Tabor. Again, less hiking than I would like. Uh, Last year, if you recall, uh, we had some some time before, well, let me back up. So you take your big tour bus about halfway up Mount Tabor, but uh, because it gets rather steep towards the end, you have to park your bus at a place and then take vans f- all the way to the top because the road has too many switchbacks, you can't make it uh, in a big bus. So last year we had about an hour and a half of spare time before our mass, so uh, some friends and I on the pilgrimage decided to hike it Became a little bit of of an adventure than we were looking for. Uh, but this year, there was not nearly enough time. And, and it had just rained that morning. So, no hiking again. Twice in one day, no hiking. Even though it would have been awesome. So we took the buses to the top. And uh, the blessing of that, though it was less exciting traveling up there, was that I got to see the church uh, a lot less hurried than last time. Last time when I was up there... Uh, because of our delays in hiking i had to i was literally rushing into the sacristy getting vested as, as i was walking into the church and so uh, i didn't get to really admire the place at all i was rather rushed and then as, soon as mass was over we went back outside this time got to admire the church a bit um, before mass began it's kind of a it's a very tall church inside which i suppose is probably a reference by the architect to uh, to the Transfiguration, which is what um, is commemorated on top of Mount Tabor. Uh, so you know, once you he want the architect wanted us to to look uh, heavenward to have lots of vertical space inside the church. Um, but the the main altar is built down over the rock, over the area where Jesus appeared with Moses and Elijah in the presence of Peter, James, and John, and uh, of course the chapel down there where you have mass is very beautiful over that place. It was built in 1917, and so it has uh, that particular, supposed to be an Art Deco style, maybe an early style of that. Uh, kind of a, a bit of a modernized look to it, but uh, because it's not too much into the modern period, it has, uh, you know, especially the the angelic figures and and the the mosaics have a very natural look to them still, even though they do have. A bit of a, a stylized uh, modern appearance to them. So we have we have mass there um, on top of, or I think maybe right in front of, uh, the stone upon which the Lord was standing, or rather, perhaps above, uh, with Moses and Elijah. And it was uh, one of my favorite places to have mass because of the connection between the transfiguration of Christ, you know, showing his glorious self to the apostles and what happens at Mass when the ordinary bread and wine become the extraordinary body and blood of Christ. Now, of course, it's not that the body and blood of Christ at mass, change external form. You don't see them any differently. They remain in the appearance of bread and wine. So it's not uh, that kind of visual transfiguration uh, like the apostles saw. But there is a more substantial transfiguration that, that, that goes on. So it is, I think, uh, still very appropriate to make the comparison. You know, when, the, when the celebrant holds up the host, holds up the chalice and and the, and the host consecrated It is a good reminder of christ transfigured before the apostles just as we with eyes of faith see the reality of the eucharist during mass so also peter james and john saw the reality of christ and his divinity uh, in the transfiguration he became you know he he was shown to be the son of god and god that he is just as we with eyes of faith see that the eucharist uh, becomes heavenly food, even though it retains the uh, appearance of bread and wine. So the mass up there rode back down the mountain, got back in our bus, and headed to a very different place, the Jordan River. So we went from uh, Mount Tabor, a very high and honestly rather cold and breezy place, uh, all the way down to the Jordan River, about about an hour and a half away, uh, literally, obviously on the border of Jordan and Israel, over by Jericho. So, uh, down south uh, past jerusalem through the uh, judean wilderness uh, where john the baptist was hanging out where christ uh, went after his own baptism and went to see the jordan river now last time the jordan river was uh, like i said it's normal level which is uh, pretty low um, like 20 feet wide uh, but the water was, uh, it was raining that day, or had rained earlier that day, and I think had been raining previously. So it was actually um, pretty high. It was probably eight or nine feet above, uh, you know, depth wise above where it was when I saw it uh, last year. And so it was probably three times wider than it was last year, which made it a more substantial river, though still not as substantial as it would have been in Christ's time. Uh, you know, the the place where John probably is actually baptizing Jesus and other people is like 40 feet up the bank behind you from where you stand at the water's edge. But still, it's that place. Um, by the way, it's lower because Israel, Jordan, and Syria, maybe? All three countries uh, draw water from the Jordan River. And so uh, a lot of its the volume it should have is decreased. So either way, um, we were there beside the river. Uh, it was a bit awkward because it was closed off; you couldn't go down to it. Uh, so you could just stand on the very top level, looking down over the water. And there's they were setting up for um, Epiphany, which in the um, Orthodox calendar hasn't happened yet. So uh, there were barricades, and it was not quite the ideal of being able to go down by the water. Uh, but nevertheless. Uh, We renewed our baptismal promises there and prayed for a moment beside the Jordan River. As we were going up, I began to kind of look into an idea that I had last year. Again, more about hiking. It's on my mind yesterday um, about the possibility of hiking from Jericho up to Jerusalem, which theoretically is possible because that was the the only way to go between those places when uh, you know, Jesus would have come down from Jerusalem to Jericho to be baptized by John and the Jordan, or when, you know, Mary and Joseph went to and from Egypt, uh, the road where good Samaritan story happens, you know, going up from Jericho to Jerusalem. Uh, so it's a, it's a, at least was a real path and there's a monastery down in the valley. So I knew it was at least theoretically possible. And so I kind of asked around, did some research and indeed it is possible. Most people would only walk from from Jericho to the monastery, but it is, if you look closer, uh, it is possible to walk the 17 miles from Jericho up to Jerusalem. So that gives me some food for thought. Um, I think I mentioned it before that I'd I'd like to do Holy Land pilgrimage again and be be the chaplain, be the leader for it. Warning: It would involve lots of walking. Even I've mentioned that several times already. So I'd like to do a pilgrimage. Um, you know, maybe pray for me that this becomes a possibility. That uh, we could maybe start out in Nazareth or something like that. Walk through that through the Valley of the Doves. All that path up to Galilee. Walk around Galilee. Take a bus probably down to Mount Tabor. Walk up that. There's a trail. Take a bus down to uh, Jericho go up to Jerusalem, as somebody would have done, because you always go up to Jerusalem. Uh, Even though you might not be going north, you go up to Jerusalem, because it's, you know, pole of the Earth, Mount Zion, the mountains surround her, Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem. But, you know, if you come on my pilgrimage, we're going to be doing some walking. Anyways... It was a very, very full day, full of lots of ideas at least. Um, Not particularly stressful, strenuous, but uh, I certainly was ready to crash when I got home. Therefore, I didn't record day five by itself. So the next day, today, was supposed to begin at 3.30 a.m. That's when the wake-up call came to my hotel room. But, so I went to bed at, right at 10 o'clock, and woke up, bang on, four hours of sleep, 2 a.m., which is not, well, not totally unusual, but not exactly when I wanted to be awake, considering that my alarm was going to go off at 3.45. Uh, Hotel room phone call, wake up call at 3.30, my alarm 3.45. But I was, I laid back down, but couldn't couldn't go back to sleep. So at about 3 a.m., got up, took a shower, did my morning prayers, I figure if I'm going to be in a crowded church or at least kind of a somewhat chaotic church at five in the morning, I might as well be up and showered and ready and uh, feel refreshed instead of be dragging myself out of bed. So at 4.15, having showered and prayed, we were on the bus to the Holy Sepulcher, which is the church built over Jesus's tomb and the place of Calvary where he was uh, hung on the cross and that that is a uh, very interesting place the whole place you could spend hours talking about just that um but it's it's quite an experience there uh we you know you would expect in a place that is so important you know the most important place in Christendom where Jesus suffered his final and then was buried and where the resurrection happened You'd think it would be this grand, glorious church, marble, gold, statues, paintings, all that sort of stuff. And to a certain degree it is, but in a lot of other ways, not even close. Um, It has had quite a life. Um, I'll I'll go into a little bit more later. But first we go in and we go straight to the sacristy to be be getting ready for Mass. Mass is at 5 a.m., because you got to get the masses in before the church gets super busy because they they have uh, pilgrims come in, form a line to go visit the the tomb for the whole rest of the day. So if you're going to have mass in the tomb, which we were able to, you got to do that really early so you can get that out of the way before the pilgrims come. So we go to have mass in the tomb. Now last year, uh, Father Joe Oren was very gracious and let me be the main celebrant. So I was in the tomb in the tomb itself uh, because over the tomb there's built a small little chapel and it has two rooms in it there's kind of an outer room that's outside where the tomb actually was it's it might be a, you know, a preparation chamber is, is how they used to do ancient tombs and then the inner chamber is where jesus was actually buried and so the main altar where the priest who's this main celebrant is in that inner room uh, but this year uh, uh, cardinal burke who was with us was the main celebrant obviously if you have a cardinal he's the main celebrant and so he was in the inner tomb and then that left the rest of us concelebrating priests and and a few lay people who were with us in what's called the angel chapel which is the uh, outer room the angel chapel because it's where uh, the angels greeted the apostles when they came to the tomb and it was actually in, in a way nice to be out there and not be the main celebrant having done that myself already Because then I could, you know, not that I was not praying the Mass, but I had a little bit more freedom to appreciate the space that we were in and to uh, admire it and kind of be present to it in a way different than if you are uh, the main celebrant and, you know, in a sense, uh, working more, right? So while listening to the readings and participating in the prayers, I was able to admire the space a bit more. But we did have a chance uh, during Mass, as odd as it might be, to uh, duck into the to the inner chamber and uh, venerate the, the slab beneath the altar. Because the altar's kind of a shelf, really. And then there's a slab of marble beneath the altar. And then beneath that slab, and maybe beneath one more, it's kind of fuzzy, uh, is the actual stone upon which Jesus' body was laid. And so... Um, Though you would never do this kind of thing during a quote normal mass in a normal church, uh, because of the unique situation of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, it is it was appropriate for us to uh, kind of sneak in one by one and venerate the the slab, you know, to pray with that very holy place uh, while mass was happening. So I did uh, at at my turn, kind of duck in there and just for just for a few seconds, uh, placed my Uh, my little journal that i have with my prayer intentions in it uh, on the slab and prayed just a little simple prayer lord do good for all those i care for and so i mean if you if you have an intention specifically that you gave me for this pilgrimage uh, know that i uh, at least had it in my heart and in my mind in that moment though i didn't wasn't able to mention uh, everything there so anyways mass goes on of course very beautiful uh, to be in this most sacred place uh, we finish mass, go back and to the sacristy and and unvest, divest from our uh, mass attire, and uh, our tour guide comes into the sacristy afterwards. And of course, we're all very uh, somber and quiet because we've just had a very profound spiritual experience in this most holy of places. And he kind of ribs us a little bit and says, "Fathers, put on a smile. The Lord is risen." You know, yes, we just had this very. um, holy experience in this very serious place Uh, but also it's a very joyful place because it's not just where the lord died and was buried but where he rose again from the dead and uh, that fact of his resurrection which is the most important thing to happen there uh, is it is the most important thing right and it's a thing of joy that the lord is risen indeed so he his little ribbing was was well received that smile fathers the lord is risen so we finish uh, wrapping up the end of mass and we go up, then to the Mount of Calvary, which is, you know, probably twenty or foot, twenty or foot so high, um, stone hill, basically. Which is, of course has had, uh, you know, stairs and a stone platform and things built up around it. It's hard. It's hardly recognizable as a hillside anymore because, you know, it's had. Seventeen centuries of had having a church over it in various forms. Either way, uh, you you can go up there and there's an altar, and uh, of course, very very elaborate, ornate, and beautiful because of the importance of the place. Uh, but you are able to go and reach under the altar through a through a small little opening, and you can touch the stone, you know, the rock of Calvary upon which the Lord's cross was uh, standing in. You can't you don't touch the actual spot where the cross was but it's the whole stone so you know it all counts um and then um, of course everyone takes their turn as as usual in these sorts of situations and i learned something new about this uh, particular stone i hadn't hadn't had this framed to me before that this whole place this whole tomb area the calvary area it existed as an old rock quarry outside the city it's where they would obviously quarry stones to build the city of jerusalem among other places, I'm sure. Uh, and so what they had done, this particular mound where the, the the cross was, was a spot that the stone you know hadn't been good for quarrying and you know had it, it had some cracks in it. it had um, it wasn't good to be used for building. so it had been left here among this otherwise quarried out area. But that brings up a fascinating theological connection because our Lord is referred to as the stone, which the builders rejected that has become the cornerstone. So while the Lord is not this literal rock, it is very fitting that the Lord was the Lord who is the cornerstone that was rejected by the builders, the Jewish authorities, that he was crucified on this rock that was itself rejected by the builders. So it just adds one one more layer to the significance, the meaning of this place. So after we finish venerating uh, the altar, venerating that uh, the rock of Calvary, we gather up and go back for breakfast because we haven't had breakfast yet because mass was at 5 a.m. Come back to the hotel. Um, I watched a little video on the uh, stages of the, of the construction of this whole Holy Sepulchre, Holy Sepulchre Church. And it's fascinating. There was quick summary super quick summary there was of course just the tomb and calvary and a garden in between as scripture says uh just you know sort of a little rolling hill sort of area Uh, and then christians of course were coming there in the first centuries Um, and then before christianity was legal the roman emperor hadrian decided he was tired of that business so he built a pagan temple over the entire place to hide it from people, but that had the lovely effect of saving and preserving it, and helping us know where it was. So, when Christianity became legal under Constantine, <coughs> pardon me, Constantine's mother, Saint Helena, uh, came in, found everything, and built a small, a somewhat small church over the tomb and um, over a part, sort of behind. Calvary and left Calvary itself exposed. Uh, And then, let's see, later after that, uh, a bigger church was built by the Crus... no, by by Constantine, I suppose, that era. era. And later the Crusaders built a bigger church over that, and then that got torn down, and then other things were built over it. Um, At one point, it was a rather nice, large, symmetrical basilica with an apse with an altar and a nave and aisles and then the tomb at the other end and Golgotha on one side uh, under a nice chapel but centuries pass wars happen earthquakes fires it's been rebuilt fallen down again rebuilt again the whole thing is fascinating but all kinds of interesting Um, however I'll get back to that in a minute so we came back Uh, I took a nap for three and a half hours went to lunch with some guys kind of wandered around wandered around the city a bit um honestly people watched for a little while that was kind of fun um to see the sort of the jewish culture uh, those who are strictly strictly observant jews versus those who are more secular jews and then uh, you know, we're like, oh there's an american walking by because he doesn't fit in at all um, we had some some rabbis came and talked to us you know seeing us as, as priests obviously uh, he was very nice and kind of made a uh men of the cloth sort of connection um i went back to the church after lunch with some of the guys um prayed a little bit more spent some time uh walking around trying to get a a grasp for what's what in there maybe the history of it you know trying to figure out you know where does that doorway lead i wonder what's behind that like how do you get up to that balcony up there You know, why is that part weird? Oh, looks like that part fell down and they rebuilt this and that, you know, trying to make sense of the whole place. You know, I could never, without days and days and keys to all the doors, never make sense of it all because it is kind of a Swiss cheese building of, you know, panels on the floor and doors that go to mysterious places and passageways that you're not allowed to go down. I would love to spend days, weeks, years there, uh, but alas, I cannot but I spent some time there trying to at least make a, a little mental map for myself. Went back outside, um, wandered around the streets. Um, of course, they're full of vendors and shops, and it's it's the ancient, uh, narrow streets of Jerusalem. So really just pedestrians, maybe, maybe a motorcycle could fit down them. But otherwise, if you've ever been to a, you know, a marketplace anywhere in the sort of non-Western world, it's like that, you know, shops with things spilling out into the streets and vendors shouting and smells of foods and incense and all kinds of stuff going on. Super fascinating. Um, didn't buy anything, but just enjoyed walking around, uh, took some quiet side streets, did not get lost. Uh, fortunately I have a good sense of sort of inner direction. So I would, you know, take these winding up and down the hills through the narrow buildings, kind of keeping it, keeping in mind, you know, I think, the church is over to the left as long as I can kind of keep that in mind and sure enough I navigated my way back and um, people probably wonder what I was doing back there in the little little neighborhood streets but that's fine Uh, it was a fun little adventure past some curious things uh, but I'll return to that in just a second so um, I go to walk you know after some time there I meet up with some guys so you know let's go back to the hotel Um, but they're waiting on somebody so I thought you know what I'll just go ahead and go back myself Um, But I ran into a Jerusalem newbie kind of problem. Something I should have known, but didn't even think about. So I start walking back to the train station. Well, the train stop because there's kind of a a light rail service that runs throughout town that we had gotten there on. And I get there, and there's nobody there. And I go to the platform, and it says, Service concluded for the day. Which is very odd, because it was... Four fifteen 15 on a friday like you'd think trains would keep running a little bit longer than that like it wasn't you know midnight and so i read read the fine print there you know looking at the train schedule and then i found the part that applied to this and it reminded me oh yes friday begins the sabbath and you don't work on the sabbath if you're a jew so guess what the trains and buses don't run so, here I was, several miles away from my hotel, by the old city of Jerusalem, but our hotel was north of ta- or on the north side of town, with no bus, and no train, and honestly, not wanting to pay for a taxi. So, I got to have a walk through Jerusalem. So, I got at Google Maps, and it was simple enough, I had plenty of daylight still, and Jerusalem's, it's a safe city. So, I went for a walk, and... You know, it wasn't too much to see, just some neighborhoods, and you know, I didn't, I didn't come across any great, um, fascinating places. It's not like Rome, where every corner has something incredible, at least not that I knew what to look for. I mean, the, in Jerusalem, at least as far as I know, the really cool stuff is all in the old city. Maybe a few things here and there, but it's not like there's around every corner is a little treasure. So, um, I walked back. I did see some. Uh, Some things, though, that I had heard of and didn't know where they were. Uh, One of them is, quote, the Garden Tomb, which is a curious little place that, forgive me if you like it, but I think it's kind of silly. Basically, it's where Protestants say that the the Tomb of Christ actually was. But it's not. There is super flimsy evidence that justifies that whereas there are bucket loads and heaping mountain loads of evidence to assure that the holy sepulcher is the tomb of Christ but people go there um you know i think there's kind of a they like to have a plausible deniability about it that, oh no no we have we have our evidence this is the true case but it seems my read of the situation on it, and I think I'm not far from the truth, is that oftentimes Protestants are uncomfortable with all of the, honestly, Catholic, or at least Orthodox, you know, the the rich, ancient church stuff, the candles and the incense and the images and the processions and all that sort of stuff that goes on at the Holy Sepulcher. And so they've kind of, oh, no, 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 it's over here, so we can have our own sort of Protestant-styled, you know, idyllic, garden scenario for the tomb of christ um but again the the architectural evidence is rather flimsy and it brings up it brings up an odd question because there's also um there's there's this quote garden tomb there is an anglican cathedral nearby and then actually in the old city right nearby the tomb is a place is lutheran quote church of the redeemer which I poked my head in there. And A, it costs money to go inside, which is really never a good thing if you're trying to have a church, right? Um, And there were literally two people in there and some pews and blank white walls and one little picture of Jesus up on the wall. Um, And it was this very stark, barren contrast compared to the Holy Sepulcher, which is this bustling building full of life and people praying and all these things going on and it it made me sad honestly because if you're a protestant who doesn't like or doesn't agree with all of the catholic byzantine stuff going on what do you do like what's your experience of the holy land how do you wrap your brain around this experience that really i think challenges your concept of the faith because there's this long established beautiful tradition that doesn't square with your own tradition right it's sort of one thing to have your have a protestant worship service and kind of be self-content in what you're doing in the, in your you know in a bubble but if you come to the holy land where it all began where it happened and everything around the places where it happened looks Catholic or looks you know, Greek Orthodox or looks like it is all these things that have been around for centuries and centuries way before Protestantism existed. How do you reconcile that with your church that broke off and rejected these things that are based on ancient history? You know, I didn't ask anybody. I didn't, there was no one there to ask. Um, so I don't know how they take that, but it, it strikes me as a very odd and somewhat awkward situation to be in I mean in a certain sense you know good for them for wanting to be present in this holy place, but I don't you know <laughs> the stark difference between the Holy Sepulchre, this place full of life and piety and prayer and energy compared to a stark empty cost money to enter church I, I just don't know what you do with that when if you're a Protestant coming to the Holy Land anyways so um, when I got back to the hotel I started of course you know, looking into things and uh, just doing research because it's, it's just super fascinating but one thing that surprises me is that there's not really much out there there's a couple YouTube videos that are super brief summaries you know just sort of exterior shots and a few basic 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 descriptions I looked on Amazon Barnes & Noble th- like sure there's some like you know coffee table book with good pictures and lots of details and explanations of all the little minutia of all the stuff in there no there's there's not i don't know if there's just not a market for it for some reason even though there's like literally millions of people coming to these places every year or if it's just too academically dense and so like maybe if i go to like a research library i can find what i'm looking for i don't know but i was really surprised by the lack of of substantial resources to gain you know more information because if you if you talk to the tour guides there are like they could talk for hours and hours of incredibly fascinating and important details about the church and like its history and how it came to be and what it means and the symbolism and there's so much to work from so it's strange that there's just nothing available so hey if you're a publisher uh, you know, hey, sign me up. I will. I will help you make a book because there's all kinds of stuff. Um, but it just struck me as really odd. So if you know of any things that I am missing, please let me know because, I, yeah, I, I want to read more. I want to know more. But I can't afford to, you know, come back to the Holy Land every six months and talk to a guide. So, yeah, that thought so that was, it just struck me as a very odd thing to not be able to find. Much resources on this obviously very important place. So then after dinner, or we came back to the hotel, had dinner, uh, did the research, and then just a good evening of a community with our priests. With the priests on this trip, we had kind of a a dinner in the hotel dining room, but uh, kind of in a private room off to the side. And great conversation. Uh, Such a blessing to spend time with Brother Priest, even ones that I've only known for a few days. Um, Also, shout out to Father Wojtek, who... I think he's doing his own recordings for his own people, and he's subscribed to this. So if you're listening, uh, thank you, Father. I hope you found it enjoyable. Um, So this one's, uh, what am I, on? 35 minutes, 36 minutes now, but I think we had two days, and it's very substantial days. Uh, Tomorrow, I believe we're going to uh, many places, the Garden of Gethsemane, Mount of Olives, again very important places we're kind of going a bit backwards in time so we're going to Holy Thursday and Good Friday if you will um, so I probably have a lot to say tomorrow too um, but thank you for listening hope it's been interesting uh, do come to the Holy land if you're ever able it's incredibly fascinating incredibly prayerful um, please uh, know of my prayers for you all um, I specifically offered my prayers the pilgrimage prayers uh, by you know listed them all I during Mass, I couldn't pray them explicitly, but after Mass, I did um, go outside the tomb to the wall, you know, sort of right behind the chapel where the tomb is, and prayed as close as I could get to the place, prayed the, the intentions specifically. Uh, so know, know that those were prayed there today, and uh, certainly please pray for your continued safety and travel. Uh, things have gone away, i have had no problems. Um, but please pray for that, and uh, I'll say more soon and see you all home soon. God bless.